Welcome to the one within all to another episode of Interverse. And it's a big one today. I uh, think that maybe you are like me and you've had the feeling that something's not right about the world and all these stories that are totally toxic to the way that we see it, ruining our <laughs> expectations of what's possible, scaring us of every dark corner and invisible boogeyman and tiny particulate that could somehow make you ill. Right. So worldview healing is what's on the agenda for us today. But what has to happen before that is some major deconstruction of the his or her story and a return to the sweet embrace of the my story mystery. And we've got the perfect guest for this on deck today. The one and only Michelle Gibson. She's got a website called Piercing the Veil of Illusion and a YouTube channel, which is her name, Michelle Gibson. She's also an author. And she does some extremely detailed and articulate research into just how big of a conflict there is between the mainstream accepted narrative of history versus what we actually can see when we look with our eyes at the world, at ancient structures, at even aspects of geology that we've been told are natural that seem quite unnatural. So there are many, many different tangents on this Christmas tree of amazing present moment realizations that are quite new to the collective consciousness fractal, to be honest, only, only since the internet got kind of fast and we got able to really rapid fire research, did this stuff start coming up. People began Absolutely. to realize the real lives with their real eyes, but I want to just go ahead and get into it. I could just introduce Michelle all day. She's the mental matriarch of monolithic musing and world champion corrector of confusing historical deceptions. The one and only Michelle Gibson. Let's do it. Thanks for being here. Awesome intro. Thank you, Chance. And yes. I really appreciate the invitation. I think uh, your community is my kind of people. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> because this is very much a spiritual path for me. And as I've gotten deeper into it, I just I really feel like I was incarnated to do this. And because I've been connected to this information my whole life, even though I didn't consciously become aware of it until I would say probably it started around 2006. And this specific information started around 2012 of really tuning into it. And then 2016 is when... I found something <laughs> and that began my original research, but everything that I was attracted to prior to that time was teaching me and informing me, whether it was a book or a video presentation or somebody that I met or a life experience. It's been very synchronistic, which is why I say, I, I really think I, I came in here to do this and by miracle of miracles, I woke up in a life in a in a family where that could have easily not have happened <laughs> there were so many places along the way it would not have happened but i i just had a very strong sense of could be called wanderlust <laughs> that's one part of it cuz i i have no fear of moving I still have no fears of moving. I've, all, I've moved probably 15, 16 times in my life and I've always landed on my feet. And so I don't have that fear that a lot of people have of change. 
And that's what's brought in a lot of this, a lot more of this information because I've lived in different places in different parts of the country. I've, uh, I was in the army. I was stationed in Germany for two years. So I traveled while I was over there, experienced living there and married a former army sergeant. And he, he had retired. We met before he retired and we got married after he retired. And I, I just set a course that was different for most people. And because of that, I, I, I've had the experience of living in a number of different places. And after we married, we moved to New Mexico. That was back in 1989. I wasn't awake then. I was aware I wasn't awake. But I had the kind of life that basically allowed me to wake up and unplug from the matrix. And my husband and I lived in Fairbanks, Alaska for five years from 94 to 99. Uh, moved to Buffalo, Wyoming. We knew he had a kidney disease before we moved. And thankfully, it didn't hurt us to move because I was able to get a job right away. I was trained as a geriatric social worker and activities director at the, in college and professionally. And he died in 2001, found out a couple of years ago, it was from Agent Orange. And thankful, thankfully today I have a, a pension that I, I didn't have before. Because of that, I was able to prove that. But my life has been a journey, and I would say a journey of awakening. And in 2016, my own work started. And I've got a picture of it that's a little bit clearer. Maybe, maybe I'll go ahead and share the screen right now if that's okay. Yeah, I think I actually had to grant permission. Forgot to do that, but should be able to now. So there we go. Okay. I just want to show you where my journey started. I don't know who that is. Get her out of the way. My journey started here. <clears throat> and by this time, it's kind of a long story since my husband passed away in 2001, but I moved back to Fairbanks in 2006, lived there from 2006 to 2012. And that's where I really started to wake up. I was introduced to Drunbelow McElzadek's work. I learned about sacred geometry and the flower of life all during that time. And learned about anchoring light. I had a, um, a circle of friends that were interested in Drunbelow's work, and they were also shamans. And so I would say it was probably in 2010, we just started anchoring light, just sitting in a circle. And then I moved from there in 2012 to Oklahoma City to help with my mom. And by, by the time that I left Alaska, I was wide awake. It took me the next four years to become wide awake to how dark the dark was and to learn what I needed to do that, to do this work. So when I was living in Oklahoma City, I had some friends from the Unity Spiritual Life Center there. And we would go traveling to places like <clears throat> we went down to Dallas and across to Rockwall. Picked up information on that journey. Uh, we went to 
So you said you're in Missouri, right? Yeah, that's right. Right in the corner, caddy corner with Oklahoma and Arkansas. Okay. So I went to Eureka Springs. Yeah, I have a good friend that just moved there. We're going to be going there a lot soon. Yeah, there's a there's a master crystal there, an Atlantean master crystal. <laughs> I can tell you exactly how to get to the spot where you can feel it. <laughs> okay, I'm in. <laughs> I'll, I'll get you the I'll get you the details. Um, you know where the power the passion play is. Yes. You go down that road towards town. Not the one you come in, but the one you go down, and you go past Magnetic Springs. There's a location there called Magnetic Springs, it's about halfway between the Passion Play location and um, the main street of Eureka Springs. It's a very special place. And I found out about that from James Tiburon, who was earthkeeper.net. And he held, uh, channeled Metatron and held activations in different places. And he talked about the Atlantean Master Crystals. So there's one there in Eureka Springs, there's one in uh, Mount Magazine. And there's also one in Mena, Arkansas at Queen Wilhelmina State Park. It's just south of there. Some of my listeners who are interested in the number 23 will find it interesting that Eureka Springs, Arkansas has a Highway 23 going right through the middle of it. (laughs) (laughs) And that Highway 23 goes right down to Mount Magazine. And it might even go across to, to Mena. There's something about that town that hits different. Like it's really creative and artsy and just off the wall and just a different type of thing than most of the areas in the Midwest. And it's really a great example of the ancient civilization. (laughs) It's really, we're sitting on top of it. And that's, that's what my area of expertise is. (laughs) Can I bring the uh, screen share down until we look at this image more specifically? This one here? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Or you can go ahead. Okay, you want me to talk about it? If you want to, I just want to show our faces more, unless we're looking at the thing specifically. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I, it's I, okay. I'm uh, in producer mode. <laughs> it's like I can, I can Control go off everything. in so many directions. <laughs> okay, good. so basically, because I knew about sacred geometry, this was sitting on my dining room table, and if you'll see these lines here, the lighter lines here, I found those first cities lining up and then I found this one up here in Edmonton going down to Ottawa and then I found this one going through Toronto Detroit close to Indianapolis St. Louis Tulsa Oklahoma City Lubbock El Paso Hermosillo on down into the Pacific and then because I knew about sacred geometry I brought it back up here and I thought well I wonder if I can find another one and so I found this one with the point down in Merida. And um, because I had already been prepared, I'm going to go ahead and stop sharing. Because I had already been prepared by my interests and there's a conference called Megalithomania um, put together by Hugh Newman, Newman, who's a British Dowster. Um, I saw my first conference in 2011 and was exposed to all kinds of really cool information. Um, I knew the ancients were very precise and other people had found alignments. And so I kind of knew what to do when I found those and I extended the lines out and I wrote down the places that were in alignment. 
I've got about 19 or 20 spreadsheets here of places that are either in circles or go around the earth, you know, specifically from the star tetrahedron that I just shared. And that was the beginning of my journey. I had some other ideas about the civilization before I started in that I had a Moorish American friend that I met at the Spiritual Life Center who was key to my awakening to the Moors also. Uh, he brought that stream of information into my life where I said I did not have that before. Didn't know anything about the Moors. Um, but with that information and learning about them and learning and, and just seeing this civilization start to come out of the <laughs> environment around me, I started seeing it everywhere. I was able to really piece together this this part of this puzzle. And there's a lot of other pieces, but that humanity was very, very advanced. Everything was based on sacred geometry, the buildings, the civilization itself. I think that's where the 12 tribes of Israel come in. They were lined up. The civilization was lined up according to the sacred geometry, which also correlated to the constellations, um, possibly the 12 tribes of the central sun, if you're familiar with, with that term. Actually, no, that's, uh, that's a new term for me. I've heard it a lot from people like Meg Benedicti, who does meditations several times a year on, you know, powerful moments. Uh, that was the first time I heard it, but I've also heard it in other places. So, you know, I think there was a highly advanced civilization here. No problems. Everybody was learning that they were a part of the creator and how to connect with that. And so I think, from what I understand and see, it was like the fullest potential that there ever was in human form was this, this civilization that I think lasted for a very long time. And I, from, again, from what I understand from the Moors themselves, M-O-O-R-S is M-U apostrophe U-R-S, which pertains to Mu, which is also known as Lemuria, which goes way back in time. And that North America is, is very, very old. So you've got the pyramids everybody knows of in Egypt, but there's pyramids outside of Little Rock. Um, there's pyramids everywhere. A lot of them are called mountains now. <laughs> They're called mountains. The one outside of Little Rock is called Pinnacle Mountain. People don't know there's, there's two more just like it right next to it, but it's cut off. You can only see it from the visitor center observation deck on a clear day. Um, other than that, they have all the points of access. If you're on the road cut off and maybe you'll get to see the other two. If you're on a, there's a yacht club on the Arkansas river down there, you can might pass by it. Or if you get to the top of Pinnacle mountain, you might see them. So one of the pyramids is the state park and people are climbing up and down that every day. And, you know, it's just, just hidden. <laughs> hidden in plain sight. Hidden in plain sight. I, I like to yeah. point out that some of the most important aspects of our life in reality are obscured. They're invisible by their proximity. Like if you wanted to look at your nose right now, you could go, oh, well, my nose is right there. But all day long, you don't even know that your nose is there because it's so close to you. 
And it's so integral to everything about your perception that it could just be kind of filtered out. Like it's always there. And in a similar way, all the stories that we've had about where things came from with <laughs> that we were given before an age where we were likely to question anything. Mm-hmm. And the same was true generally generationally. No one's questioning any of it. Uh, it all just becomes invisible. Even the contradictions between obvious evidence and the story. So whenever you're getting into this type of research, like Michelle does, it's kind of hard to put it in order. It's hard to pull a narrative out of it. In fact, it's hard to even think of the chronological side altogether. And that's interesting to me because how the whole, you know, false matrix is working is based on artificial timekeeping. There's no such thing as 7 a.m. There's no such thing as Tuesday. The only thing that we could actually say that is time is how long it takes for the moon to go from new moon to new moon or for Jupiter to take a full circuit. And that's a whole different type of time. And maybe people living in that type of a time, their perception of time, what they could do, even maybe how big they are compared to the rest of nature. All these things could be wildly variable just based on that one primary aspect of perception that would be different, which is living in the real time versus living in a dream time, an artificial time, fake. And those are all excellent points. And they did live that way. Um, buildings were lined up to the full moon, to the equinoxes, um, to the you know solar lunar cycles, to cycles of time. Uh, the Mayan calendar. If you're familiar with the Mayan calendar and the um, the Bakhtun and the I want to say twenty day signs and the thirteen tones, which is where you get the the year calendar from or it's a month, like a Mayan calendar month, but it wasn't the same that we experienced. Like it's like the energies, the energies of a particular sign and the energies of a particular tone. And they just, it's like cogs in a wheel, you know, so you get something different each day. And it was harmonizing with natural cycles of time and the development of consciousness. And I really think this linear system of time, the more I, I delve into this, is was brought in specifically for the purpose of, number one, getting us trapped into a year circuit. You know, we have the same holidays every year. You know, we're thinking in a linear fashion. But they're heavily in no correlation the- to the week in nature. Like, <laughs> that's why it is a week you're weak and you have weak days at the end or the beginning and the, you party on the weak end of the, the weakness. <laughs> it's just like ridiculous how that entire circuit works and uh, is an artificial conceptualization of something that's a real timekeeping measure, which is the planetary luminaries that are the days are named after. Right. So there's like an atavistic connection where we're like, I can trust this. It's named. The name sounds right. This is moon day. Or whatever, but has Moon Day Monday has nothing to do with the moon in nature, and so that gives us the work week, right? So we have to work to pay our bills and our taxes, which I don't think existed before all this came in. And when I say all this, I think this this timeline was hijacked. The Earth's grid was hi- was hijacked, and we were given this calendar 
to create that kind of cycle, as well as, I think, for occult purposes, because the controllers do ritual things on certain days. So like 322, which is also the skull and bones number. (laughs) Also the skull and bones number. Yep. Um, A lot of things happen on March 22nd. I was born on July 19th. Same thing. I mean, it's beginning of one of their occult periods. Um, 9-11 is another one. I mean, that whole Benghazi thing happened on 9-11. Besides the Twin Towers coming down. I mean, they're, it's, it's based on this ritual calendar. And that's how they've, you know, ritualized everything to maintain their power because they're working with dark entities for their continued power and control. And all of this is happening without the majority of people having any idea that's happening. Um, But that's kind of the now impact. But when I started researching these data points on, on these alignments was when I started being able to extrapolate the metadata about the bigger picture of what's been going on here. So the earlier, the earliest posts that I did were kind of short and I would, I was looking at different aspects that had caught my attention when I was waking up to this, but then I started following the alignments and, you know, one of them's called how, you know, history reads like a book on the planetary grids, how I found the silk road. Um, and then I, I followed circle alignments. Um, one that began and started in Merida, Mexico, another in Algiers, Algeria, another in Amsterdam Island, which is a, like a tiny speck of land in the Indian Ocean. Another one was Washington, D.C. Um, another one was a, a long-distance alignment that started in San Francisco. Um, I had I had to, I started out with the flat map. I had to switch to a globe so I could see the other side. I didn't come at it from a point of view of flat Earth or, or plane or planet. Um, I found evidence to support that there's been tinkering with our perception of space and time, but it's not what drives my work. My, my work is driven by these alignments. And, and that was how I started to, to see what they did, how they did it, who did it. And that's where the bigger picture data came from. And so I didn't have a theory about that when I started. I was, I was just following an alignment, alignments and saying, hey, wait a minute, everything looks the same everywhere. And, and that was... Two years after I found these, I started to blog. And then I started, I, I made one video and I was only going to make one video. And then I got a subscriber on YouTube. So I started to make videos from all of my blogs, but that's really increased my reach. And you do a great job with this. And I think that if anyone's fascinated by what we're talking about, you're really not going to get the meat unless you go deep dive with Michelle's videos. But that being said, I would like to take a moment and zero in on that point that you made that things look the same everywhere. Can we elaborate on that? And because many of us, especially the more uh, busy we are with our slave jobs and stuff, we don't travel that much. We see pictures of things now online more, and that's probably helping us connect dots. But let's talk about this, um, the old world architecture thing. We've only broached the subject once with Howdy McCoskey earlier in the year, more focusing on the world's fairs, but this is, uh, this phenomenon of old world architecture is literally everywhere. And I was hoping we could 
maybe explore that for a bit and make that more clear. Okay. It's a deep subject (laughs) because it really is everywhere in your own communities. If you have a courthouse, any older buildings in your communities, libraries, schools, theaters, museums, we haven't been taught about this. Prisons too. Prisons and mental asylums. There's a mental asylum next to my house that looks like a, uh, well, it's like a, a prison for the criminally insane. And it looks like a freaking castle just in the middle of the city for no reason. And that's what they did. I mean, they, they warehouse. And you can't get close to it either because, you know, it's dangerous, crazy criminals. So you can't like go look at it closer and be like, who built this? I think there was a period of time in the 1800s when they were using a lot of this older architecture for, um, you know, ad- people that were just. They needed to warehouse people, adults, kids, you know, orphanages all over the place. Um, I think I think the 19th century was a mess, an absolute mess. And that gets into the mud flood idea, but that's another topic. So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. And. see where I can start with this because the thing about my research is that it's really, really compelling to show you what, what it is when you can see it. So it's a show more than tell thing. Cause then once you can start to show it to people, they'll be seeing it every time right. they go on vacation, when they're walking around downtown and their town it's everywhere. Yeah. Every time they go out the door. So let me see here. Yeah, there's a lot of choices. (laughs) So I'm just going to go down here. It's the easiest thing to do is show you some of the, the more recent stuff. Yeah, the uh, one thing that's part of this is the whole Starfort thing people might be a little familiar with. And I live in a town called Springfield. There's a Springfield everywhere. And it's said that this was built on three star forts that were necessary for the Civil War for some reason. Except there was already a town here during the Civil War. So I'm confused about when they built the town on top of the star forts. And then there's also this whole network of underground tunnels and buildings that only the super rich and the large corporations here have access to. It's like an underground city. <laughs> no one can tell you when that was built or how they did it. It's just like, this is just one small like college town in the middle of Missouri. And that's all here and more. So, so one thing about my research is I, I'm all over the world. <laughs> yeah. Not only am I all over the world, I'm all over the place in some of my posts. Um, It's almost like any rock you take so, to pick up, you find more evidence that contradicts the narrative under that rock, no matter where you found it. Exactly. So I'm trying to think of a good place to start. I should start in the Springfield one. <laughs> <laughs> You've got one on my town? Yeah. I, I missed that. That's this one. Oh, cool. (laughs) Um, But this is a good one because it takes me to one of my examples. (laughs) There you go. Syncs up. Okay. So 
I had the skill sets I needed to be able to do this. I've been reading about everything I could get my hands on for as long as information's been available. And one of the first starting points for a lot of people, including myself, is Graham Hancock's Fingerprints of the Gods. And he did a series called Quest for the Lost Civilization based on it. And so a lot of a lot of researchers, you know, know that there's there's something wrong. It's just it's just who was it? <laughs> because it's all been fragmented. Um, so I'm just going to show you this real quick. So this is the Washita Empire, and it's a very ancient empire in North America called the Washita Moors. And this was one of my starting points in coming into awareness of this. And this was their this was their country. <laughs> this was their land. Um, but we don't learn about them. They're just in place names like the Washita Mountains in Arkansas, Lake Washita. It's, it's referring to the people that were here originally. And it was a matriarchal society. So this is uh, the Mississippi River Delta, and this is the Nile River Delta. So you can draw a straight line across, and it's like they're a mirror of each other. And uh, I go through comparisons of the two in this one, but this is a good one to start with because um, you see the, the this is the Mississippi Delta. You see the straight channels in here yeah suspiciously straight mm -hmm. canals and you see the same thing over in the nile delta you see canals it's a canal building civilization and that once you wake up to that and start really thinking did nature make this thing i'm seeing it begins to get real weird and the capabilities of this previous civilization seem almost limitless it, it, it totally was. They, they were, they knew where they were. Um, there are mounds like this I found in Scotland, in Northern Scotland. Um, this is uh, called the old Louisiana State Capitol building. <laughs> it's beautiful windows here. And my work goes really deep, but I, I, Everything that I'm I'm seeing is that the shape of the windows like this, like cathedral windows, served a purpose. So there was an energy purpose to these buildings and part of this uh, free energy grid system. And I have other work that goes deeper into that. This and is an eye. Explore that a little bit with Howdy, the cathedrals here. and the uh, rose windows and that whole cymatic aspect of frequency uh used in a benevolent way right completely so that cathedrals were like places where people would come and harmonize and there was benevolent energy going on not only on earth but i think it was going out to the to the heavens as well i think it was all harmonizing and syncing synchronizing um this is in maryland and again, I'm pointing out the earthworks here. They're the same Louisiana, Iceland, and, and Maryland here. And Cahokia, 
he announced, which that's what Teotihuacan in Mexico looked like before they excavated it. So it'd be interesting to see if they ever decided to ex- excavate Cahokia Mounds, what it would look like underneath. Uh, canals are the same way. This is the Panama Canal. Um, whole story about that being completed in 1914, which was right in time for the beginning of World War I. Um, and that this is in Northern Scotland. And again, you're, you're seeing the same kind of design here with the earthworks and the locks are incredibly sophisticated. And then this one is in England at the Leeds and Liverpool Canal locks. In really sophisticated stuff. And this was built in seven, said to have been completed in 1774. But, you know, what technology did they have in the historical narrative we've been taught that would explain them being able to do that kind of engineering? You know, so these are just the questions, you know, when, when you think at it, think about it critically, <laughs> that start to come up. But um, one of the things I wanted, to, okay, okay, so, this is the Watson, uh, Watson Lunar Breaks or Watson Break outside of Monroe, Louisiana. And Mo- Monroe was the imperial seat of the Washita Empire. And an empress is the leader of the Washita. And this was the late empress. Uh, she died a few years ago. Uh, this is on private land, but if you compare it to what Stonehenge looks like here, you see the the hinge around the the big stones. It's the same as what you see here, and this is oriented to the solstices. So, England, Louisiana. Have you heard the idea that at Stonehenge, what the monolith that's there? Is kind of like a fake to throw people off what's really important about the site? I've heard that it's it's not what we think it is. I have been there. It's huge. It like dominates the landscape. Um, and there's actually a complete Stonehenge in Washington State called the Mary Hill Stonehenge. They don't tell you about that one. No, <laughs> no. And they say it's a war memorial. But it's um, it's a perfect stone hinge. Yeah, it looks like more it's in better shape than the famous one. And that's like a World War One museum <laughs> or memorial is what they tell us. Yeah, because that that's the way you would design a World War One museum. <laughs> <laughs> no, that it was. Built by entrepreneur Sam Hill and dedicated on the July Fourth of nineteen eighteen as a memorial to the people who died in World War One. You notice they don't really ever say it was built. They say they'll use words like commissioned, founded, dedicated, found dead, and dedicated. Those both are telling that the Freemasons are they're uh, telling you a new story about the Freemasonry they took over. And actually, I found out about it from a friend of mine, and she and another friend were there, and some guys approached them, and they were there, so <laughs> it didn't stay very long. So anyway, that's supposed to be a World War I memorial with um, solar and lunar alignments and 
the whole nine yards. I, there's a nice one with the Milky Way somewhere in here over it. Wow. So yeah, that does line up <laughs> quite nicely. So anyway, that's what they tell us is that it was a World War I memorial. And that's, that's really typical of how they've covered up a lot of this stuff. Um, but I'm going to Monroe because one of the things that I wanted to show you is um, what I call snaky as shaped river bends. And the thing is, you find the same shapes in other places. <laughs> you know, they're all doing the same thing. This is over in Sudan and Africa. And also the examples of, uh, this is where the Missouri and Mississippi rivers meet near St. Louis. Looks just like where the White Nile and the Blue Nile meet in Sudan. And I've got more examples. Um, I, I think there are canal systems. And I don't know the physical, the scientific reason to have these river bends like that, but they're everywhere. And they're not just major rivers, they're, they're creeks. It's the same thing. Okay. So we're back in with Michelle. We had a bit of a dropout, so I apologize if it's a little disjointed after I splice that together, but suffice to say the uh, AI overlords don't want me and Michelle talking. Our powers combined might be too much for the matrix to handle. But yeah, we were talking about when we fell off the S shape in the rivers and the, uh, you know, that's just one part of the constellation of many odd things in the landscape that seem artificial. One uh, video creator I like is John Levi, and he's done some good short and sweet 20 minutes here and there of just looking at the grid systems from above that roads and neighborhoods are built off of and how it turns out that there are what look kind of like dirt roads, grid style formations all over the place, even where no cities have been built out yet. So there's this whole circuit board aspect going on too. And so my answer about the river essing being potentially something to do with having more surface area of contact between land and water, stretch that out across the distance instead of it just being a straight ish line could be that, or it could be related to some higher level energetic circuitry uh, because I do think that the entire computer revolution is like a miniaturization of earth grid mechanics. Right. I, I believe that um, I believe everything is precisely placed on the earth for a reason. And that, that, that this was a very special place. And like I said earlier, humanity was very advanced before the cataclysm I'm, i'll call it a cataclysm um but again i uh, you also see these these places called confluences where two natural rivers come together but you see the same configuration in different places um and i i think it was a canal system and i've got a lot more examples scattered throughout my work I'm interested in the stories of 
these previous people too, the Moors, the Washita. Uh, I have looked into things like being that I have, I'm said to have Cherokee ancestry myself. I looked into the Cherokee and was shocked that no one ever told me that they had plantations and they wore European colonial style clothing and even were slave owners, some of them. And, you know, you get this image from high school that they're all wearing headdresses and living in teepees, but it seems that whatever happened reduced a lot of the native tribes down to a more, I say primitive, but that doesn't mean that they compared to the, you know, invaders, they weren't primitive at all. They were just living in and with the land without, uh, without having the opportunity to dig out all that ancestral artwork that passes for, you know, municipal corporate buildings now uh, masquerading as governments. (laughs) Right. And, and that's, there's a couple of really big secrets in here. Uh, David Ike talks about the reptilians being the biggest secret. Well, they're kind of a secret, but these people are an even bigger secret. And I'm not looking for any other builders of this civilization other than the original people of the land. They built it. It's not aliens. They built it. It was harmonious. It was integrated all over the earth. It was all the same civilization with different names. Washita in North America. It was Phoenician and Barbarian and Mughal in India and Persian and um, but it was and and Tartaria was part of that. Um, But it was the umbrella was the Moorish civilization. Uh, Tartaria is better known because it's it was Asia and. Russia and China and Japan and Korea and Tibet. Um, and the research first started to come from there. And so it's better known as Tartaria, but um, I believe that Tartaria was part of the Moorish civilization. And that a lot of researchers are studying mud flood. John Levi's one. And there's a lot of really good researchers looking at this idea. And I started looking into it. I had already started doing my own research and somebody connected me with mud flood community. And I'll go into that in a little bit because that's important to understand. How did they take down this original civilization? How, how was that possible? How did they bring in their own new world order? And it's critical to understand that. Um, poverty point in Louisiana. Uh, was a major center for this empire of North America. And what we're told is it became known as Poverty Point because the farming was really bad. <laughs> um, but you you kind of see the same configuration here that you see in government houses, in theaters. You know, it's the same idea configuration yeah it reminds me of an amphitheater type of thing mm-hmm. and even if they're not amphitheatering amplifying sound for a stage that configuration could be a type of energetic amplification structure it's the same idea um whatever they did to try to farm it um, these mounds are not nearly as high as they used to be from what i understand um this is what they want to tell us the people were like here And when I did go there, I was kind of upset because this is the kind of thing they have on display that were made by the original peoples. And I, 
I already know that's that's just yeah, not like a representative some, sample. Looks like somebody just made a bunch of those one day and said, "Look, here's all the artifacts of the original people. That's all we've got." <laughs> I mean, it doesn't I don't even know if it's real. I mean, maybe it is, but yeah, I mean, it's not representative of them at all. And it's more representative at um, Spiro Mounds in Oklahoma, in eastern Oklahoma, which is close to Arkansas. That's a very cool piece of art right there. And these aren't the originals. These are replicas, but it's still closer to what they would have found. Um, and then these moors are keepers of comedic mysteries and knowledge and they practice Egyptian yoga and they also um, know Medjunetar, which is the language of the hieroglyphs. And that's what Algonquin is. And there are, for, for those who don't know, you're not allowed to go there, but in the Grand Canyon, for example, there's straight up Egyptian style temples. Uh, comedic is a better word than Egyptian because that's a bigger umbrella. So what you have here is a master adept and he's in his light body. I mean, <laughs> that's what he's doing. He's, he's activating his light body. You know, this is, this is the kind of knowledge that the controllers wanted to get rid of. And, you know, these people have been genocided and brutalized terribly. Um, you know, the, the story, there's about that much of the story visible. <laughs> um, you know, there's so much they haven't told us. And this is Pinnacle Mountain, the one I was talking about outside of Little Rock. And you can see that it's a pyramid. And this is the only place, however, that you can really get this view of it. From any other direction, any other place, you can't get this clear view. Uh, but I've been, I've been to this location. The state park grounds is the um, educational like the outdoor education, the education pond at the park. You can actually see that it's a pyramid. And that's what it looks like from the visitor center observation deck. So they're all the same shape, all pointing in the same direction. And I went there a couple of times and unfortunately the weather gods weren't <laughs> cooperative. But I, this is as good a picture as I, I was able to get. And then this is Mount Magazine. And, you know, the, the age of it leaves an element of doubt, but it looks, it definitely looks like a wall. It's called a bluff. And that was when I started to realize that bluffs <laughs> were walls. They're bluffing about the bluff. <laughs> They're bluffing about them. Um, and That's then, the weird thing about the occult sorcerers. They can't help but poke fun at us with the, the language that they hand us. You know, again, so there's this like, you see cuts in it. This is the bluff. Um, and you find corners like that. I took those pictures. I took this picture. And the, and the lichen, lichen grows, grows very slowly. So it's a sign of age. Um, this is all taken at Mount Magazine at Cameron's Bluff. And it's green. <laughs> it's not my, you know, there's a green tint to some of these pictures. And that's where the emerald crystal of healing is supposed to be. 
one of the Atlantic and master crystals. So I did have green tint show up in my photos. That's all I'm saying. It is there. It's very deep. So on this particular alignment, and this is one that started in Algiers over in Algeria, I came to Springfield. And in Springfield, you know where the Pythian castle is? Oh, yeah, I know about this beauty. <laughs> Pythians are really questionable. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> Pythagor Pythagoreans. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, that, does, that goes right back to that question of the seraphim reptilian connection that they even like to give names like that to these uh, family lines and and castles and things. That's so this a whole is, other research subject is that you could look at the architecture or you could look at etymology. And if you start to figure out how puns and word plays work between one language to the next, you realize there's a code to that that also reveals the same type of information. Right, right. And that's the whole thing. I mean, we've just been inundated with these symbols and spells and codes <laughs> that we have no idea. I mean, on the, on the monster drink, which you couldn't pay me to have, the, the, the symbol of the monster drink are Enochian sigils. Yeah, the 666 monster claw. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's all around us, but we just accept it because we don't know that's what they're doing. Yeah, in, uh, the, there's a park right next to my house that I, I swear, I go there every day for years and I only just noticed that right near the entrance, there's a bench with a dedication on the bench. And the bench is in an area that I'd already noticed was odd because it was called the Blue Star Memorial Garden. And it had all these plaques around with uh, memorials about characters that are super important to the historical narrative, like Jonah Salk or Rosa Parks or Abraham Lincoln or whoever, like, you know, these big names that everyone hears about in high school. Lots of them. And there's an Apollo Artemis statue there. But off in the corner, away from all the the flashy stuff, there's a bench. And it's a bench dedicated to the independent order of the Odd Fellows. And right by that bench, there happens to be, this is all within a mile of a Masonic Lodge, but there happens to be a, a smaller plaque by the Odd Fellows bench memorializing a grove called Century Grove. That's all it says. It has a woman's name on it and then like Century Grove. And I look at all this with eyes that see how groves are used as groves and grottos. Those are names for meeting grounds for these, uh, you know, Team Dark <laughs> meetings. And most people would never even think twice when they, if they even read the bench, the Odd Fellows, but that might be something we get into later. They're kind of like another layer deeper than the masonry thing, but we are getting a little close to the the break point for hour one. And I kind of forgot to tell you about my format, but we do hour one on YouTube and everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And then hour two is on Patreon and Rockfin. Rockfin's not super exclusive about a bunch of people that have already followed your work or signed up there. So it should be pretty accessible, but I uh, just wanted to give you that sort of timer warning that maybe within five to eight minutes, we'll make that segment jump. So if we could fit in for that more free hour, some information that might be tantalizing to bring them to your work in a more serious way, I would like to see more eyes on what you're doing because it's very thorough. 
And whenever you get to it in a methodical way, and we're not just bouncing around in a fun podcast hangout, the uh, it becomes the the stacking up of evidence just becomes overwhelming. Yeah, it does. And I only to scratch the surface. <laughs> so um, let me just go through Springfield real quick before we end the first hour. Um, so one of the interesting things about the Knights of Pythias, and they're in the same category as the Odd Fellows. They were all involved in this cover-up, along with the Freemasons. Um, the, it was founded by Congress. or Yeah, it was established by an act of Congress in the middle of the Civil War. Why? Why would they establish a secret society in the middle of a Civil War? And that gets into the whole idea that it didn't happen the way that we've been taught. <laughs> and I found some really juicy evidence about that. Yeah, I've got some of that of my own to share with you, maybe on the second hour, personal experience stuff. Oh, so, yeah, I know that building very you know well. that building. Well, <laughs> that's another one. I mean, it's Moorish. <laughs> it's built by the Moors. But they, know, uh, the Shriners usurped the Moorish legacy and identity. And so we're told it was built in 1923 as a shrine mosque. And it, I mean, I can give you examples of other shrine buildings and, you know, theaters, Fox theaters and Paramount theaters that are just beautiful buildings that don't fit the narrative. Now they use it for like <laughs> trashy mainstream rock and roll concerts and rap shows and stuff. Yeah. And I, and I think all of that is part of this downgrading of this original civilization. I mean, they they just don't want it around. And a lot of these buildings get destroyed. A lot of them, um, I was looking at a high school in Detroit today called the Cooley High School. That classes ended in 2010. The building stands abandoned. It's the largest abandoned high school in Detroit. There was a mysterious fire there in 2017 that destroyed a beautiful auditorium. And it's just standing there. You know, a lot of these buildings are abandoned. They're hotels and things like that. Um, and then you've got Haha ha Tonka State Park. And the narrative around that is highly questionable. North of Springfield was said to have been built by a business of Kansas City, a Missouri businessman. And you know what? When you just go on hikes and things around this area you'll inevitably run into masonry that's crumbled in, in ruins that if you really stop and wonder about it, you have to question like who even, where did this even come from? It's not a log cabin I'm looking at. <laughs> right. So they say it was um, started by a Kansas businessman in 1905, finished by his sons in the 1920s before the stock market crash and then destroyed by fire in 1942. I mean, does that look... <laughs> Does that look like that fits what that is? Yeah. It's, I say uh, no. Highly it reminds me of Glastonbury Abbey over and it was said to have been dismantled by the dissolution of the monasteries. Um, and then this is at Hanhatanka and you have like a natural bridge and you have springs. Um, you know, much of the same thing you have down in the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico.
Oh, very interesting. We may have gotten another little blip on our connection here. I don't know if you're still here, but uh, yeah, the interference is strong <laughs> right now. Can't believe it. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll dive back into it. Luckily I can easily stitch it all. So yep. it's going to be fine. That's, that's what I like about zoom. <laughs> I much prefer it to being live. Yeah. I like both for different reasons. I do a live show. That's just more of like a way to bring the community together and give them a space to also talk to each other and it not just be about me and one guest. And then I have, you know, this where it's about these deep dives serv serving up the, uh, the gravy of gnosis. <laughs> and that's really what it is. You know, I, I, I would consider myself a Gnostic and I believe we all came in here on a particular path and we're all learning our, you know, learning things on our journey and putting out things and it's unique to each one of us. Yeah. I'm learning all and more and more how multifaceted truth is since truth is the, uh, is the realm we're in and the eternity that we're a part of. That means it's also totally infinite and we can rule out a bunch of things that truth is not, but it doesn't mean, and you know, I'm not coming at this from moral relativism either. There is a universal morality that seems baked in as well, but discovering that truth, it looks different for every person and we can, it just really helps to open up to more possibilities than just a single one that we've been given by the fear factory out there. Right. But yeah, do you have anything else in that, that flow related to the area that I live in, which is fast and extra fascinating for me, or you want to give people your uh, channels and remind them how they can find your work and support you before we get into deeper levels of our two gravy. Okay. Um, I'll just finish up that segment with um, that alignment goes on up into Canada and across to Greenland and down into Northern Scotland and through the British Isles and through France and Spain and then back to Algeria and in Algiers, which is the main city. And it's alignments like that where I, you know, I've had this amazing tour of the world of places I've never heard of with all kinds of information coming out. and. So these grid lines are showing me rather than me having, you know, a preconceived idea other than having an idea of what to look for, looking for it and finding it because it's there. It's always there knowing what to look for. And it's not necessarily the written word. I use that to show me where to look. It's in the infrastructure. And, um, and that's, really important to to understand we were very very advanced and the other thing is um as far as my work is concerned my website is piercing the veil of illusion.com i've got so much information on there it is overwhelming <laughs> but it's there <laughs> i think lots and lots of good information pick a subject that sounds interesting because we can't unravel this in a linear way anyway and there's every video, every subject Michelle gets into, there'll be some parts where you're like, huh, and you're not quite maybe even following what's significant about it. But then if you keep going, it'll echo to you in a future 
piece of research where you go, oh, that's why that was significant. And you'll start to see how many dots connect, but just take your own route through this. And the most important thing is to upgrade our sense of pattern recognition. That's, that's what it's all about. It's all speaking to us all the time, if we can do that. But okay, so Pearson the Veil of Illusion, Michelle Gibson on YouTube. I do want to get in, maybe this is too big of a question, and if it is, we can expand it into hour two some too. But what I wanted for everyone to hear, even the people on the free side, is a worldview healing, I think, is what we need to be focused on for waking up the collective. Um reminding the reminding us all ourselves included of the infinite possibilities that exist when we're in coherence with the love that is universal flow and consciousness but the bad guys narrative team dark that's all about restricting worldview and worldview poisoning so i was hoping maybe you could give us some insight from how this has helped you heal your worldview and open up to a wider possibility for how life can be beautiful, um, despite the fact that, you know, we're digging into the deepest, murkiest depths of the occult and the forbidden. Right. And I love your questions. And yes, they are deep. (laughs) So I will do my best because I do have an opinion about it. So first of all, love wins (laughs) and God wins. And we're living in those times we've always heard about. They're now. And it's very serious. Um, Dark got a very strong hold down here. And that's what we're seeing playing out right now. And I don't have to do this, but I do have to do this work. People said, you don't have to do this. Yeah, I have to do this because if this information doesn't get out, either through me or, or somebody else doing similar work, there aren't enough people that are doing it. And it it's critical to understand that life wasn't supposed to be like this. We weren't supposed to be in the midst of all of the suffering and pain and, you know, bombs going off here and there and planes blowing out of the sky. That's all been part of the, the fear conditioning and the terror and the trauma to get us to the point where we would give away our freedom for protection and whatever else with all of that going on. Synchronicity happens. Um, you know, we're still communicated with by our our guides. I mean, I feel like I'm just a vessel, and that I'm being guided in this work. And I, I'm a well prepared vessel because I educated myself, not necessarily consciously, in all the stuff that I needed to be able to do this before I ever started to do it. And then none of this is overnight. I mean, this has been a, a lifelong process. So even though it looks bad on the surface, synchronicities are still happening. We're still connecting. People are waking up. They can't do this without our consent, which is why they've done this. They could not just come in and do this. They had to make it, make us do it, make us think it was our idea, give our consent to what's going on. Once we know their game and they're not creative and they're not original, they did the same thing to the Moorish civilization that they're doing to us now, only they've reversed it. It was bringing in Christianity. What are they doing now? They're, you know, they're 
you know, they're, they're, they're using the same playbook and because we're in physical form and because um, not all of us are aware of our connection to source and our connection to each other, it was easy to isolate us into thinking, you know, we're these separate beings living this semi-meaningless existence on this rock hurtling through space you know, work nine to five or however long to pay taxes. <laughs> what do you, what is the saying? You, you're born, you die, you pay taxes. Yeah. It's like everybody's you know. just waiting to die. <laughs> don't get you know, it. that's, that's not how life was. That's the false construct that we've been given. So we would be too distracted to see what was going on. Now is the time when we take our power back. Now we have the internet, we can do this. <laughs> we take our power back, but we have to do it knowing what's gone, gone on here. And, you know, I'm very well aware of the really bad stuff that's happened. I don't like to talk about it. Um, my, my focus is primarily this beautiful civilization that's everywhere and waking people up to that and that, that we were very advanced and not, not what we've been taught in school or in movies or anything. It's all been manipulated. That definitely counts for what you healing. I don't know if that's, that. <laughs> yes. if, you know, if you know what we were capable of back then and what's stopping us from returning to that level, it's all about our personal energy that we carry. That's what everything else spirals out of. And if we can maintain our trust in life and our full expression of our deepest feelings without blocking ourselves, everything else will come naturally. Everything will fall into place. All the architecture of control will crumble under the weight of, you know, lies crumble under the weight of their own details. And you are the perfect example of that in your research that all these lies take a few blocks from the Jenga tower and the whole thing's done. Right. And it's, you know, we're, it, I think another proof is, is the fact that so many people are waking up and so many people are waking up to what you're sharing chance. Um, I mean, had they been more successful, this wouldn't be happening, but they couldn't stop it. And we're grassroots, you know, we're, we're not big names. They've managed to silence a lot of the big names, but there's this, you know, big upwelling, <laughs> From the ground up of people that, like myself, never did this before a couple of years ago, never even thought about doing it. Never, ever. You're doing it well and with your own style. So I've loved the first hour. We'll move over to the second part now. Um, I mean, this was more free flowing. I It always goes that way. I prepare, like I got all these questions and then we just see where it goes. But <laughs> uh, I will hit some of my specific questions here in hour two. We're going to get into some fun stuff. Talk more about that civil war reconstruction era, era, old world electricity, maybe dig on that odd fellows thread a little further. Maybe talk more about team dark. We've got a lot on the plate. So everyone make sure you check the show notes for links to Michelle's work and I'll catch you guys on the flip. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you.
All right. My people. <laughs> Sometimes I get to talk to geniuses who I've been super into for a long time. And at the end, I'm like, now I'm friends with somebody who is a hero to me. So hooray for being a podcaster. It's the coolest thing I could have picked for my life. For me personally, I'm not saying you need to do it, but I love this. And talking to Michelle Gibson, that's one I can kick off the bucket list. But now I just want to do it again, probably several times because she is so so wise and she has got the love inside and that is the key the love is guiding her path and she's just following this synchronistic set of many different dendrites of rabbit holes and tunnels through the <laughs> the crap <laughs> finding our way back to the golden nuggets of truth that are buried underneath all the mud of confusion and dissonance and it's kind of fun actually to be the hero of your own story and it looks like she's having fun with that so Michelle Gibson, piercingtheveilofillusion.com. You can find her at that site. Why don't you leave her a donation for her work? She works really hard. I just dropped her a few bucks. You guys can do that, right? And uh, while you're spending a few dollars here or there, <laughs> think about maybe signing up for Interverse Plus by joining, joining us over on patreon.com forward slash interverse or rockfin.com slashy interverse. The links to that and Michelle's work all in the show notes in the episode description, like always. And I'll kick things off here. I've got a lot to talk about, but let me just give you a rundown of a few of the things that are in the plus extension. Oh, you know what? Hold on. Back it up. In case you didn't notice, this was a very video heavy episode because she was screen sharing. I didn't like ask her to set up a screen share, but she wanted to do it. And I love that because that's her flow is to show and tell, not just tell. So if you're on the RSS feed right now, just hearing the audio only version, I'm sure you got a lot out of it, but it helps to see things. And to be real with you, uh, the video format is where the fun's at for me these days. And I'll talk more about video format after we get through some of this other stuff. But, you know, if you're not following me over on Rockfin or YouTube or Odyssey or I guess BitChute. I mean, I post there, but I don't like the I don't like how it works that well. But it's a good backup plan. Odyssey's great, though. Screw YouTube. If you're not following me on one of those places, you're missing out on a bunch of stuff that I'm doing. Even on the main show episodes, you're still not getting to see our faces and maybe the screen shares that we do. So think about it. And not that you can't enjoy a lot of these episodes on an audio-only basis. I'm going to keep that alive, of course. That's how I started. But anyway, plus extension today, the second hour, $5 a month on Patreon or $10 a month on Rockfin. And the Rockfin version, you get everyone else's stuff on Rockfin too, not just me. So that's how you get access. Today, we talked about the mud flood evidence in more detail. Very good topic. Can't really exhaust that one. And once you start to look at, uh, look at it, you're like, whoa, this is everywhere, including where I live in my small little area. We discussed the Civil War and Reconstruction era and the building of crazy buildings that doesn't really make sense for that time period and what was going on economically. We got into the co the question of non-human interference leading Team Dark on this whole dissonance thing that humanity's been experiencing. Got into talking about Mon Satan, I mean Monsanto, 
and other murky corporate mires along the Mississippi River. We talked about the Schumann resonance uh, and a lot more, a lot more. But those are some of the big hits. I want to show something, actually, because you may have heard me talking about One Day of Brightness, which was Lindsay from Rogue Ways, Lindsay Sharman. She does uh, an Equinox and Solstice event, online event called One Day of Brightness. I've gotten to host a segment on that the last two times, and it's been so good. And it's funny because I brought up Schumann Resonance during my segment, and I did a group sound healing, actually. And two minutes after Lindsay ended the call, this Telegram group I follow posted a picture of the Schumann Resonance from yesterday, (laughs) how it spiked. And interpret this how you will, but I'm screen sharing it right now. Do you see that giant wall of light on the graph here that's literally breaking the chart? It's going over 40 over 40 cycles per second. Okay, so that was during the one day of brightness event. Call me crazy, but it feels like we did that or we were integral to that happening. You know, we're it's not like we did it, but we're we're in the same flow of life force energy that is just erupting out of the seams right now, busting out of limitations, dripping with good golden gravy. <laughs> so there's that, you know. Schumann Resonance, Michelle gave me some of her thoughts about that. So that's some of the stuff that's in plus. I hope you get into it, dive in. It's deep. It's The waters are fine. It's worth your five bucks, let me tell you. I mean, five bucks in 2021 with inflation and shit, I should double the cost, but I really should. But it's okay. I just will try to round up more of you. And if everyone chips in a little bit, then I don't have to do other stuff and I can make videos all the time and you guys can enjoy the ones you want to enjoy and you don't have to watch them all, but I'm going to make a lot of stuff in this lifetime. So another episode of mine that pairs really nicely with Michelle here was the one I did with Howdy McCoskey and John Coleman. Howdy is the author of the Exposing the Expositions book about the World Fairs and how ridiculous the story about the World's Fairs is and We touched on the fairs a bit with Michelle, but that is a huge, that in itself is one small segment of this larger subject of forbidden history and occulted knowledge of the human race and our powerful, powerful ancestors. Guess what? If our ancestors are that powerful, what does that mean for our potential? It means we could surpass it, theoretically. Or, you know, we could keep circling the drain. It's up to us. (laughs) I'm on the up and up, though, so I hope you guys are too. Now. There's some things I wanted to ask Michelle about and I didn't get to. One thing you might have also wondered is that when we're looking at the lines between cities and creating these sort of ley lines and looking at those patterns, I wonder if the, especially the bigger maps, like the Mercator projection of the whole <laughs> realm, that fake map that has so much distortion in it, wouldn't that also be making the lines connecting cities a bit unreliable? And I swear I didn't just like, you know, wuss out on asking that question. We just didn't get to it. But I was wondering that still, if the only point of her connecting the dots between city A, B, and C, and then looking at what's along that line was just a synchronicity path that led her to discover other things that are relevant, then that's good enough for me. And maybe that would have been her answer. Anyway, on this mud flood thing, I want to talk about a theory I've got. It's not my original theory per se, but a concept I'm connecting another concept into mud flood and maybe someone else has already made this connection, but this is a 
a thought experiment that I like to do. It's going to require some explaining. So behind me here, this is the cosmic egg. It's a different way of modeling the realm we're in. And there's a lot to it. And someday I'd like to cover this more deeply. Probably should. But for now, let's just look at the cosmic egg as a way of considering the Earth being flat and not flat at the same time. Yes and instead of yes or no. Okay. But in this model, you've got these rings here. These are the ringlands and they're concentric rings that are essentially what you call planets or planes that have barriers between them. Our realm is this one. And then there's one further in that's closer to the, the spine of the world, the cosmic column of, of energy connecting the above and the below. And that middle cir circle, that's Mercury. And in this realm, Mercury is the sun and the moon at the same time. The ring further out from us, we've got Mars and Venus as the sun and the moon. The next ring further out, you got Saturn and Jupiter as the sun and the moon. And so if we look at this like a growing system, like a world tree with the rings of a tree fractally representing a similar thing as this cosmic egg, this larger superstructure that we're in, then it would make sense that at a certain interval, this cosmic egg or cosmic clock would expand. And on this expansion, a new center point would emerge and grow. It would push the rings out further and those rings would grow. Everything would expand just the way that you see a tree layering on itself. And if that's the case, then perhaps this whole mud flood thing, this liquefaction of the ground and the like, why, where did all this mud come from? You know, maybe that's the new land that's growing, emerging as the egg grows another layer of the onion. Right. You follow me? So cosmic expansion happens. New lands are literally are growing and emerging and this mud kind of resets everything by covering stuff up. And then we got to unbury our own past and dig into the subconscious in order to heal and to rediscover who we truly are and find our power. And it's no different than the psychological dynamic of the spiral path of an individual's life. It's just on a bigger scale of the fractal. So maybe that makes sense to some of you. Maybe you're all like, what the hell is chance talking about? <laughs> Cosmic egg, though, look into that as a as a cosmology. It's pretty rad. And honestly, most cultures before NASA had something like that, a cosmic egg or a cosmic tree. And it makes you wonder, you know, we're talking about these resets of society in the forbidden occult history. What do you make of the Klaus Schwab crowd and the Great Reset in context of that? Are they hijacking something that is atavistic to us that we don't really consciously remember, but our ancestral memory is quite aware of this concept of a reset. And I think it's being hijacked. It may even be letting us know that something along the lines of these, this big land expansion could be on the way, but I think it's a bigger cycle than that. I think probably we're not going to see another like huge mud flood anytime soon. And I do think that controllers want you to think that they did it. Like, we're the powerful ones that we made the earth shake and we flooded you with mud. Ha 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 ha. We could take you out at any time. Yeah. Okay. Sure. 
<laughs> yeah, you got power over God's creation and can just do whatever like that. Well, okay, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see about that. Okay, now let's talk about some other stuff. Videos. I'm telling you, videos are my jam right now. I'm super feeling the fire of the flow state. And I've been, for a while I was doing these uh, Oracle draws, like drawing three cards from my decks and sharing that on Telegram as a little voicemail for the group. And that was fun, but just getting more and more into it. And so now what I'm doing is actually full-fledged videos that are going on YouTube, Instagram, Rockfin, and probably Odyssey, I think, is picking them up automatically. I'm not bothering to put them on BitChute, sorry. But go to those other channels, and if you want, you can see a 15 to 20, sometimes a little more. I'm trying to be concise, but I'm still getting the hang of it. 15 or 20 minute daily videos in the morning, or as early as I can get to it, where I just dive in on the Universal Oracle for the day. Today's video was Innocence from the I Ching, number 25. Queen of Cups. Oh, that's Moose. My bad. Queen of Cups <laughs> from the Tarot and the Moose card from my Animal Medicine deck. If you want to know what those things mean in context with each other, go to my YouTube or some other video platform that I'm on and check it out and get into that vibe with me because it's powerful and they build every day. And if you're in that with me every day, let's see where that goes, you know? Let's see what synchronicities can be generated, sync generator, by this Oracle thing. I think it's super lit. Another type of video that I've been warning you is a thing and I want you to get into is Vibrant. Vibrant. It's a new show. If you haven't kind of tuned in with me for a while, Vibrant is my brand new weekly live show on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Central where me and the crew get together and... I usually pick like a, a solo guest, a single guest that's there with me the whole time. But we also take callers to the show. We take voicemails, play them on the air. You can share some memes with us. Like literally anything goes. It's just a free form hangout where we try to have some belly laughs and also some deep dives and also some going with the flow wherever it leads. And also bringing uh, people up to connect with the rest of the community and getting uh, getting y'all out of that feeling of being invisible. I want to share what I've built here. I don't want to be the only one on stage. I like being on stage kind of, but <laughs> I want to share it with y'all. So get into Vibrant. That's on my YouTube and my Rockfin. This is so fun. The episodes are hilarious. The stories are crazy. Last week, we talked to Matt Landman, one of my best buds of the whole internet. And I got to complete a dream that I'd had for a while, which was to get Matt Landman talking to Mitch, the orgone donor and meet each other and talk about geoengineering and solutions and have fun. And that happened. And uh, this Wednesday in a couple of days, Mitch is coming back and maybe we even get Matt to call in again and we'll just repeat that whole magic. But Mitch will be there. He's going to tell us more stories about what he's been up to with the mission to spread earth pipes across Arizona and other parts of the country. And it's still raining in Arizona, as far as I know, like today and yesterday. Monsoon season just isn't ending. They're greenifying the desert. It is kick ass. So videos are where the fun's at right now. Please get on my video platforms and follow me there. Turn on the bells to get notified. Share this stuff with people that you think would like it. I get censored like mad. YouTube screws with me. I don't care, but 
my point for saying this is the only way more people are going to find me is probably if you go tell them about me. And if you want them to find me, then I would love it if you did. And if you want to just take in what I'm doing and you're here for that, that's cool too. It's really about you anyway, but let's, uh, let's expand, you know, let's grow this tribe. It doesn't, this doesn't need me niche information. That's only for a select few. We're all worthy to get deeper into the flow of truth. Right. I think so. Let's finish it off. It's been a fun outro, been a fun episode, been a fun week, been a fun life. Here we go. Uh, we're going to play guiding light by break science an awesome track. Stick around and check out the trippy visualizer I made with for this song. I think it's really a good one. One of my favorites in a while inspired by Michelle Gibson and uh, we're done here. Much love to you all. Like so much love and remember whatever is going on in your life right now. If you're confused, if you're at an indecisive point, whatever the more love filled option is, do that. And it's going to be good. And I love y'all. Talk to you soon. See you on Vibrant in a couple nights. And bye-bye.